Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my co-host, Mr. Coles Davis. Hello, hello. He is repping the Seahawks gear right now. He is staying strong for the squad in times of struggle. It's also the night of the Kraken's uh, first ever NHL game, so maybe he just doesn't have Kraken gear yet, and he's kind of <laughs> solidarity, you know, amongst our sports teams. You know, what's funny is that I recently went up to Seattle, and I was shopping for some new Sounders or some new Seahawks gear, and I must have went to the wrong store near the pier because I went to the store, and all they had was Seattle Kraken. So if I was a hockey fan, I would have been in heaven, but... I'm just not that. I'm just not a hockey fan. So maybe if the team starts doing good, I'll buy some gear out of solidarity. Excellent. I would say I will take you to a game, but we're about three or four years away from that being an affordable option for us. So um, <laughs> you know, because they're brand new. But no, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're ever going to get into hockey, like now's the time to kind of catch the fever and the bug. Like I'm a low key hockey. I, it's it's definitely like at the bottom tier of my sports favorites list. But I enjoy watching it, and it is a really fun sport in person as well. It's just, it's a lot of, it's so fast-paced and chaotic. But anyway, we're not here to talk about sports. We're here to talk about movies. And here on FF Plus, our format is pretty straightforward. We will talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and then we will talk about what our recommendation is for whether you should see a movie or whether you should skip it. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler-free. Kales, last week we had an episode that featured what we would say is probably our cumulative lowest overall scores of any FF Plus we've ever done. It was not the best. This week, there's been some chaos. We expected to have four movies. We only have three. You only got a chance to see one of the three because one of the other ones you were going to see got canceled on us tonight at the last minute. So unfortunately, Halloween Kills is not going to be in our lineup, folks. We both were excited about seeing it we were ready to talk about it but they took that out of our hands so the three that remain though i gotta tell you so from a very personal perspective here these three movies were among my top 10 most anticipated of the year probably like top six anticipated of the year maybe top seven whatever the number is these were all the way at the top of my list so i was super hyped to have seen all of these recently and i'm excited to get into talking about them with and without you. <laughs> so uh, here we go, folks. We're going to start with The Last Duel, which stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. It is directed by Ridley Scott. It is written by Nicole Holifsoner, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon. And it is based on the book of the same name by Eric Yeager. What is it about? In 1386, Marguerite de Carouge claims to have been raped by her husband's best friend and squire, Jacques Legree. Her husband, Knight Jean de Carouge, challenges him to trial by combat. It is the last legally sanctioned duel in France's history. All right, what I like about this, first of all, I'm all about that medieval epic. I love me a sword and board movie with knights and armor and bloodshed and castles and awesome costumes and when you put Ridley Scott in this context I expect something to come out of this feeling very similar to like a gladiator right or kingdom of heaven something like that so Ridley Scott has proven that he can do this 
type of film well, in my opinion. So I was excited about that. I'm also a big Matt Damon and Ben Affleck stan. I saw the criticisms of them going into this movie about these random white dudes in a movie playing French knights and how silly that might look. And I really defended their inclusion in this film because I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And I thought that whatever their choice that they were making was, it was going to work out. Anyway, that's kind of my excitement factor going into this. Now, what did I end up liking about it? I really liked the idea of it still. So essentially this movie is trying to use the format of Rashomon. Rashomon is my favorite Kurosawa film. And if you're not familiar with it, what Rashomon does is it takes one story and it tells that same story multiple times from the perspective of a different person. And so what you get is these competing, quote, truths of what someone saw the incident and how it went down as. And as a viewer, you are left to try and figure out like where your loyalties lie. Who do you want to believe? Who do you not believe? What are the details that kind of sync up in one story and don't sync up in the other story and such? It can be a really fascinating and interesting way to watch a, a movie unfold and ultimately get to like which one was the correct way to go. So I loved that idea about this movie. I really like the production design. I think it looks phenomenal for a medieval movie. The the swords or whatever, the, the armor, the, the way the duel goes down, the combat. There's not a lot of combat in this movie. It's not like a ton of fighting happening. You get a couple of scenes of warfare with the knights out in the field fighting whoever France was fighting at the time. And then you get the epic titular last duel at the very end of the movie. And it is brutal af like you know <laughs> there is there's some kills in this movie that are just out of nowhere like blood splatter etc so compared to another really scott film gladiator how brutal is the violence is it right at that same scale is it a little bit more or is it you know less i would say it is but it's condensed into maybe two to three very brief moments and then this one last scene it's not about fighting like it really isn't it is so much more of a drama um the movie plays out like a drama it, it's which kind of bugged me well, i'll get to that but I, I did like when it did get into them being knights and showing us the action so he can shoot that and it, and it, it is great that final duel is a really strong way to end the movie because you've been waiting for it you know and you're like working all your way up to it and it pays off, I gotta admit. Jodie Comer is fantastic in this movie. So I was not aware of Jodie Comer until, what did we see earlier this year, Coleste, that she was in? Um, Free Guy. Free Guy. Oh yeah, Free Guy. Right. So she was in Free Guy, and I loved her in that. And I found out she's been in all of these like TV shows that I was not aware of and I put on my watch list. But I, again, she knocks it out of the park, and I think she's the best thing about this film as far as acting goes. Like, hands down, without a question. She is amazing. The screenplay was partially written by Nicole Hollisner, and then it was partially written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And what they did is, to my understanding, Damon and Affleck wrote the male parts and Hollisner wrote the female perspective. Here's the thing. The Hollisner, the Hollisner, I don't know if I'm saying Nicole's part, I don't want to keep butchering her last name. Nicole's part of the screenplay is really good the affleck and the damon part of the screenplay 
is not to talk about in this section. <laughs> so props to Nicole for being a really great screenwriter. I'm going to stop there because most of everything else I have to say sort of leans into dislikes. I did not love it. I was very disappointed overall. I had high hopes for this and I walked away pretty bummed. A couple key reasons. One, the accents, the lack of accents, I didn't think it would bother me. I would have been bothered more had Affleck and Damon and Driver tried to use a French accent and just been inconsistent and failed. So from that regard, I understand just saying, forget it, right? The problem is the story is told in this very silly kind of way. Like there are moments of seriousness and then there's this Ben Affleck character who comes in and is a pure comedy. Like he is so over the top evil that it doesn't fit. He's like the bro who's in charge. He's like, it feels, this movie is so hard trying to be relevant in the Me Too era. Every single man in this film is a piece of trash. Not a single redeeming character flaw or, or trait in this movie. So I get it to some extent, but like the, it's, it's very on the nose that no one is worthy of this. And it's just, it feels like you're really hammering at home in an almost an unrealistic manner, but it is probably closer to realism than, than not. That being said, it just isn't a fun watch when everybody's a creep and their acting performances did not work for me at all. None of them. I just, I felt like all of the men were in a movie that was not nearly as serious as this movie wanted itself to be taken because it just couldn't hit a, a tone and stay with it. It was kind of all over the place for me. Whereas I felt like Jodie Comer's character, Marguerite, was always consistent and in a drama. Like she never felt like she was swaying into silly zone. But the Ben Affleck and the Matt Damon screenplay had this modernness to it that I could not separate. And it felt out of place. You could, it was very obvious the way that the words were written comparatively. And it felt to me, Coalesce, like these guys who are filmmakers called up their buddy who's a filmmaker. And they were like, yo, come over this weekend. Let's hit up the backyard with some cameras and let's make a medieval movie about this thing. And they just kind of threw it together with a whole bunch of money is what it felt. It felt like they were just kind of play acting. So it didn't live up to the talent that I know that all of them have, in my opinion. When I had saw the trailer, I mean, I usually do not break this rule, but I was kind of curious. So I broke the rule and watched the trailer for this. And I kind of saw what they were going for with this medieval France and, you know, the sword fighting. And it, it kind of made it look like it was going to be a big emphasis that you're going to get a lot of this action, which hearing from you, that is not the case. And also seeing this Ben Affleck character, even when I saw him on the poster, I was like, something just doesn't feel that his character fits in this film. And your comments are kind of like supporting my point. So I'm kind of surprised, too, at how disappointing this was. I mean, there's Adam Driver. You got Ridley Scott, who's a great director, one of the greatest directors we've had in the last 30 years. You got Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, and these guys know how to write. These are the guys who came together for Goodwill Hunting. And then you got Jody, who's been on a hot streak, Killing Eve, Free Guy, and now, now she's able to lead in this film. 
So the ingredients were there, and it's really a shock to hear that it doesn't come together. I will also say, full disclosure, I seem to be in the minority that majority of critics have, have been much more positive on the movie than I was. I have a thought on that, and I'll, I'll mention it here at the end. But the other big, 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 big part of why I couldn't get into the movie and like it more than I didn't is because you're telling this Rashomon-style story. You've got three perspectives. One, the accused vic victimizer, right? One is the husband who ultimately is challenging the victimizer for honor or whatever reason, his own reasons. And then three is the victim, the wife herself. So you have three different perspectives. The movie is long. The first one goes on for quite a while and they get shorter each time, only replaying snippets of this. They tell the whole story the first time and then they kind of cut shorten it down to little pieces as they change perspectives. For me though, you didn't have enough details that were different. There were so many scenes that almost played out exactly the same that I didn't feel like I had any sort of revelation in each unique perspective. So why are you wasting my time telling it to me three times if you're not going to show it differently? Super, super small things were different. And then the things that were different were never addressed. Like for one, one time, you know, on Matt's arc, he comes home on a horse and after being gone for a while and he, he kisses his wife when he comes in. In her version, he doesn't. But like, we never really pay any, there's nothing about that that gets talked about. It's just showing it differently. And so it was like, well, how is that something that is a different perspective? Like, he doesn't, like that either happened or it didn't. That's not a perspective to me. That's a That's an act. Like you either did or didn't kiss her before you walked past her. It's not, did you think you did? Or did you, you know what I mean? It just, it felt weird. And ultimately, the whole movie is playing on the idea of ambiguity. The purpose of this story and the truth of this story is that it was never determined. But because of the system that they had in figuring out who was guilty and who wasn't, this archaic, patriarchal, absolutely awful way of determining guilt and leaving it in God's hands or whatever that they were trying to do, the movie never made me think there was even a question about her side of the story. It is 100% for sure what she is saying is truth. And to me, that loses the power of what the film is, the purpose of the story is. Now, I totally understand why that is. We are in the Me Too area, era. It's Believe Women. And I, I think that's why come critics are probably higher on it than I am is because they're all about championing that message that we need to believe women. And this is a story that, hey, we should have believed the woman. And I agree with that. But as a movie that is supposed to be built on the idea of maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, there's none. You always believe it happened from, from the very get-go. And to me, that's a failure and, and a critical one. And so it kind of, that just derailed it for me overall. Um, and it's, it's just really long, man. It is, it's two and a half hours and, and it's, it's a slog at times, I thought. So 
yeah, anyway, very disappointed overall. Uh, I, it, I've probably become more sour on it even since I came out of it. Just not a fan, and that's unfortunate. What, would I recommend it? I would say, so what is this one? Is this coming to, so this is in theaters on October the 15th. I would say if you're interested in it, you should probably still go see it. Based on the fact that I'm an outlier, I don't want to encourage anybody not to spend their money because I may just not be with the majority on this one. But if what I have said seems like those things would bother you, then you would probably be wasting your money and your time because it's two and a half hours. And if you don't enjoy it, then there's there's really nothing else to enjoy because there's not combat to like get excited about throughout the movie, right? If you just can't get behind the drama and the story, then that's what that's what's there. So that's kind of my recommendation. Personally, I'm saying no, I wouldn't recommend it, but I give that caveat and that that grace that, you know, you may have a different opinion than I do. All right. Anyway, moving on to bigger and better thing. Well, not bigger, but better for sure. We're going to talk about a documentary called The Rescue. It is directed by Elizabeth Chai Vasarheli and Jimmy Chin. What's it about? It follows the Tham Luang Cave Rescue, a 2018 mission that saved a junior association football team from an underwater cave. You may have heard about this on the news. Um, I know I did. It was in the headlines quite a bit. Um, very harrowing situation. I just got done talking a lot. So, Colesse, why don't you start us off by what you liked about this one? The rescue shows you that the impossible is possible. The rescue shows you that human beings, when they come together, we can do otherworldly acts. Like all it takes is generosity. All it takes is compassion. And all it takes is for people to use that passion for the better good. And we see in this film that we're following a big group of cave divers, guys who are who have a passion for going into caves that are dark, you know, things that me and you probably would never want to risk or even try, you know, just because of the sheer will and the sheer unpredictable aspect of it. But these guys treat it like, like going swimming every weekend. And we see these guys and them having to come together and figure out a way to save these kids who are trapped in the cave. And let me tell you, this film is anxiety inducing. Like once it gets to the part where, we're focusing on res on rescuing these kids and getting them out of a cave and knowing that earlier in the film, we get a scene where these cave divers have to go and save these pump workers who were trapped in the cave. They slept and they ended up did not see that the cave started to flood and seeing how these guys are only given a respirator and how the cave divers pretty much have to guide them through the dark in the water. They, they can see through artificial light, but these guys, these pump workers are pretty much blind. And me and you talked about it last night. We were texting each other, and you said that you would die probably in a situation like that. And I said that, yeah. I, I did, and I would. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would be in the same boat, too. Like, you know, water already for me, you know, I, I don't have a, a phobia of water. But just knowing that you're in water and that you can't see is something that I wouldn't wish on anybody. So having that and seeing the way that they come up, of how of how to save these kids it's remarkable it's incredible it, it's a story about heroism it's a story about you know circumstances you know people who are willing to sacrifice people who are willing to come together for the greater good and it really speaks to how our society has become almost 
individualism. It's all about the individual. It's all about people getting theirs and not caring about other people, just worry about themselves. But this film shows you that, you know, the world is a better place when people come together and when people are able to do something that is much bigger than them. Yeah, man, I love it. So it is an amazing documentary, in my opinion. It's from the director team that made Free Solo, which is maybe my favorite documentary of the last five years or so. I think that these two understand capturing extreme athletes in situations that are very unique. And I say extreme athletes because really the central point of this is the cave divers. I mean, it's a collective effort, right? Like there's so many people. And that's one of the, the points that this film made that I thought was important is you've got the Thai Navy, the Thai government, you've got these deep dive, deep cave divers who are really doing the legwork, but you've got American military, you know, playing a role in this. And, and they said at the end, like 5,000 volunteers from across the world who in some way helped with this process. But these cave divers, this very unique athletic thing that these people do as a hobby, much like with Free Solo, a guy who climbs mountains without safety gear. It's very unique, and, and it takes a certain kind of person to want to do that. And so I enjoyed getting to learn about these cave divers and see how, quote, different you have to be to enjoy going into deep, dark, tiny little holes in water that you can't see in, knowing that one little misstep and you're dead because you can't get back out or you run out of air or whatever. There's nobody to save you, whatever. There's a million ways you could die. So that was interesting to me. Um, and seeing like some of the times when they're like very aggressive <laughs> with the people who were running the operation, telling them like, yes or no, we can or can't do certain things. But the footage is like the highlight. Archival footage from the actual event, being able to see that, the GoPros, they they merge it with what were done as recreations they were done um, in a tank. And you wouldn't even necessarily know it. Like there's a lot of recreation in this, which makes sense, but it's so seamlessly integrated, real stuff, right? People came together, they put everything aside, and they decided we are determined and we are going to risk our lives and we are going to make sacrifices to do everything we can to save these children. And no challenge, no obstacle. And there were so many obstacles, man, learning about like all the things that kept coming out one after another after another. And even the way that they ultimately got the kids out, it's just that part alone is just it's mind boggling to me that it even worked. Right. It, it is unfathomable that it could actually succeed. And so they did it's hopeful for humanity like this is what you want humanity to be to be like all the time that's what i got out of it like imagine Coles, if the majority of human beings had this mindset for the major for everybody that's hurting in the world like if we took care of each other not just in a life or death stuck in a cave situation but like in an i'm poor and can't afford to eat situation you know like Imagine what could be different with the world. Like that's the kind of like inspiration this type of event brings for me. And and it makes me, you know, happy to see that it worked out for this group, but it makes me yearn for it on a much bigger, broader level. So I, I loved it. I love everything about it. In fact, 
I think it's important to tell people, I wrote this in my review, I called it a popcorn documentary. It is very intense and very suspenseful, as much as or more so than any fictional national natural disaster movie. And it moves at a pretty brisk pace. It does not tell every piece of the story. So if you're looking for like this whole documentary that is kind of unbiased and from all these different perspectives, that's not what you're going to get. You're going to get simply about the rescue attempt itself. There's no interviews with the school kids. There's no interview or the soccer team kids. There's no interview with their parents. You know, this is focused in on the perspective of the cave divers who were working to create the actual operation that saved the kids. And that's important to note. And in that regard, like for it, what it is, like, I just think it's phenomenal. Was there anything that you didn't like about this one in particular? There's nothing I can say about what I didn't like. I can say even more about what I did like. <laughs> that's the key Go for it. this film. I mean, this, well, I just wanted to say that this year has been a very good year for Dr. Mary's. I think this is, Almost is shaping up to be much stronger than what was coming last year. I mean, you have this, then you have the Alpinist, which I felt was almost like a good companion to this kind of documentary. And then you have so certain documentaries that are on HBO Max right now, like Woodstock 99 and 15 Minutes of Shame. And, you know, this has just been a great year for the genre. You know, Roadrunner, I mean, even though there's been some controversy with that film, I mean, it's getting a lot of praise. And we praised it too on the podcast, so... Yes, there's. I could just talk all day about a film like this. So yeah, this is a great film, and I hope that everybody sees it and give it a shot. Yeah, I'm with you. I, actually, I have zero dislikes about it as well. I would say the only thing would be that caveat that I just mentioned, just letting people know. You know, it's this is it's a thriller. <laughs> it is a thriller as much as it is a full-fledged type of documentary and stuff that bothers you. Maybe you're going to feel like you wanted a little more or something, but I, I can tell you this. If you knew the quote story of this, like I did from the headlines, Oh, I remember there were these kids that got stuck in a cave in Thailand and Oh my gosh, I think they were there for like 15 days and they had to work really hard and they, it was miraculous that they got them out. And Oh, how amazing is that? Because I saw tweet updates about it occasionally over those 15 days while I went about my life you are going to be blown away at what actually took place. And I just, I will always, always love getting to hear and see these stories. And I'm, I'm so grateful that this team, I think that this is a no doubter Oscar nominee. And I would not be surprised at all if this duo walks out with their second golden statue um, off of that stage. I just, it wouldn't, would not surprise me in the slightest. It's out in theaters October 15th. It sounds like Kales and I are both feeling it. I actually would highly recommend a theater viewing of this because of how intense it is and because the footage is, you know, it's a little grainy at times because, hello, GoPros. But I think that the the theater viewing would be really welcome. And I, I'm thinking Kales might say yes, too. He had a pretty bad experience with uh, watching it at home, though. <laughs> yes, I, I did. You know, it. For me, I get claustrophobic. And, you know, when you have documentaries or films that deal with people being in tight spaces and being in those tight spaces without being able to see and being in a tight space without being able to see and on the threat of losing your life at any moment, those kind of films always give me anxiety, gives me stress. But 
also it gives me a little bit of a rush and you also feel a sense of accomplishment achievement for the people who go through these things and it kind of gives you the juice to want to do more things to get you out of your comfort zone for sure absolutely well the last film we have to talk about or i guess i have to talk about unfortunately because once again Coles gets shafted and we get a major major release and we get a screening in the middle of the daggum day and you can't get off work so my friend i feel for you just know my heart goes out to you i actually had a seat saved next to me that was empty it was kind of like my version of pouring one out <laughs> for you like you were there in spirit i know that i doesn't appreciate help you. that yeah <laughs> um okay so we're talking about dune and i'm gonna say dune part one and that's an important thing to keep in note here i had a friend text me at the end of this screening when he saw my first reaction go up on Facebook and I said something about, I can't wait for the next part. And he was like, what do you mean it's multiple parts? They haven't really talked about that. And I was like, I know, I know. So I'll, I'll address that at the end. It stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zendaya, David Dasmalkian, Shang Shin, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Charlotte Rampling, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. Holy freaking crap. It is a cast and a half. And wow, they are so talented and they bring it. It is directed by Denis Villeneuve, who never misses. It is written, been written by John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and Eric Roth. And based on a book of the same name by Frank Herbert. What is it about? All right, here's, I'm going to give you kind of the first half of the book synopsis, because <laughs> that's what this is mostly covering. In the far future of humanity, Duke Leto Atreides accepts the stewardship of the dangerous desert planet Arrakis, also known as Dune. The only source of the most valuable substance in the universe, Melange, also known as Spice. A drug that extends human life, provides superhuman levels of thought, and makes faster-than-light travel practical. That one's a big reason there. Though Leto knows this opportunity is an intricate trap set by his enemies, he takes his Bene Gesserit concubine, Lady Jessica, young son and heir, Paul, and his most trusted advisors to Arrakis. Leto takes control of the spice mining operation, which is made perilous by the presence of giant sandworms. A bitter betrayal leads Paul and Jessica to the Fremen, natives of arrakis who live in the deep desert okay i'm coming out of the movie uh literally like an hour and a half after credits rolled i'm sitting here talking about it at this very minute and all i can tell you is i had extremely high hopes for this dune is up there i read i would say there's three groups of classic literature epics that i fell in love with when i was a teenager lord of the rings the foundation series and trilogy from Isaac Asimov, which also just dumped on Apple TV Plus as a TV show. And I think I talked about it on this podcast at one point. It's very good. And then Dune. This, I, I didn't watch a single trailer. I didn't listen to the score from my favorite composer, Hans Zimmer, even, even though it was released early. The only thing I saw about this going in was character posters. And that took a lot of willpower and hiding my head in theaters because this trailer played a lot. It was worth it. It was worth doing my due diligence to stay like free and clear of the marketing because I wanted to take it in and see all of these images for the first time in context on the big screen. And it was glorious, Coles. It was glorious. Like it, it is 
everything I could want it to be and more, to be honest. I came out and my like initial reaction was <laughs> there are not enough stars in the sky for me to heap worthy praise on this movie. It's so good. You actually have all the parts, even though they're not major characters. They're characters who some of them don't make it through this movie, right? Even though there's another part coming. Some of them only have a handful of scenes, but they're played by A-list stars. And it shows that quality. It just it oozes out of this film. It is a Denis Villeneuve movie through and through. So I'm telling you that because I love Denis Villeneuve movies. If you do not, then run away. Because if you don't like the Blade Runner 2049 existential type of storytelling, if you don't like a slow burn, if you don't like a huge amount of the story being told with just gorgeous, epic landscapes and visual design and production value and like spaceships and like it, it's all about this sense of awe and evoking this gigantic scope, right? So Dune is a huge book and it is a huge series and there is, it's a whole other world, right? Like there's so much that you have to think about. I think he does a really good job of they started off with some narration that kind of sets up a whole bunch of background and and skims over some of the early parts of the book in order to then allow events to happen without having to stop and do dialogue exchanges. There's actually not a ton of dialogue in this movie, um, to be honest. Not for the two and a half hours that you're watching, comparatively to the normal movie. It's way less. It is a very political story. It's it's about politics. It's 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 the best of sci-fi in my opinion. It's this futuristic type of world, but it it's got mystical, you know, elements to it, religious elements to the story, political like I mentioned, there's wars that are that are being fought here. It's economic. Like all of those things play into this story. It's not just about a person, it's about a world. And yes, we are kind of walking through it in the shoes of Paul Atreides for the most part. Like he's our kind of surrogate character that we're following. And there's a very big reason for that because he's special. I won't tell you how, but he's special. And his impact is not just on the planet of Dune. Dune is where this part of the story is taking place, but his impact is going to exude across the universe potentially. And that is captured really well here. The scope is the word, man. It's the scope. He understands how big this is and he gets it. And so even though we're dealing with these little on the ground pieces, you never lose track of, of, of realizing how broad the impact is for all of these things that are taking place. And it, visually, it's just sumptuous. Like you're, you're watching it and you're just mesmerized at it, looking at it. Hans Zimmer's score is incredible like it's pulse pounding it's not memorable in the way that i would say the tracks from like an interstellar or even an inception some of those movies are you know like you might want to just immediately go home and put on the soundtrack to re-listen to it but in the context of the scenes you get every bit of that pumping energy building nature that he pulses like the pounding score that he is so good at but you also get plenty of those like undercurrent of emotional rhythms that that just 
make you well up inside when you don't even know it's coming. And he helps to create that where dialogue is not used to necessarily do it in this movie. Because these people are not stopping to have big conversations. Like they're moving through the story pretty quickly and things are escalating at, at a very fast pace. So it is a very different style of storytelling than most of what we see. I think it does the movie incredible justice. It ends at about the halfway points in the book ish. And I mean that if there, I don't, there's nothing I dislike about it. Nothing at all. Zip zero, probably my favorite film of the year. Going to be hard pressed for anything to beat it. But people just need to understand it is half of the story. Like it is 100% unsatisfying. <laughs> if you don't get the second part, if Denis Villeneuve does not get given the money to make it, then, you know, as amazing as it is, it's half of a story. And I, I there's many critics who are going to call that out and kind of evaluate it with that in mind. And that's fine for them. They can do that. I feel that and I understand it. But for me, it is a perfect half of a movie. And so I just have to accept that. That's what it is. Assuming we get the other half, it doesn't make this half any less perfect. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, was an incomplete story. And we had to wait a year to get the rest, right? We had to wait another year, another year. But it didn't make The Fellowship of the Ring any less five stars, any less perfect. That's what Dune Part 1 is, in my opinion, as well. Unfortunately, we just have to hold our breaths, cross our fingers, say a prayer, light candles, sacrifice something that's not alive, preferably, to to something to, to make this second part of this movie happen because we need it. Um, yeah, it, it fulfilled and exceeded every expectation that I had. I was in awe. And I, I want to watch it again immediately. Um, but I will say this. It is available in theaters and on HBO Max. On October 22nd, I'll pause because I think you have a question. What's up? So I'm wondering for a guy like me, there's no way I'm going to get, I'm going to finish with the book before we get to October 22nd. So I'm wondering for a guy like me who is not really familiar with the main story, who doesn't really know all the things that's going to be contained in this film. Will I still be able to enjoy it or should I um, bunker down and get on some cliff notes as soon as possible? Great question. I 100% recommend not reading the book first and not watching the old movie first. I don't think that they're necessary at all. And I actually think, Coles, I haven't reread it since I was a teenager. I think that it's better to not go in with that full knowledge in advance because you're not going to see all the detail in the movie and your mind is going to be like, where is this? Where is that? What is that? Why is this maybe out of order and ex explained in a different way? What I think the better direction to go is go in, watch this and see how incredible of a, of a world it is and the story it is. Then you go back and you read the books and you get all the extra details and the nuance. And then maybe you fill that in in your head. And when you rewatch the movie a second time, you have some extra, you know, you're getting more out of each character at that point. But yeah, I think it's better to read it after. I, I honestly feel that like I want to read it again right now, but I'm going to wait until the movies are done. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to revisit the whole series, I think. So that would be my recommendation. It is out in theaters and streaming both on HBO Max on October the 22nd.
theater, 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 theater. Also, biggest screen you can find. Dolby, IMAX, ScreenX, whatever the heck exists that you can get to, you get to that. And you do not watch this at home on HBO Max on your television. I don't care how big your television is. I don't care if you got a 55 inch or a 60 or 70 inch, you know, 4K like I do. No, go watch it in a theater first time. You're going to rob yourself of an experience that you can never have again for the first time once you've seen it. Please heed my advice. If you are interested in this movie, if you are hyped for this movie, do not short yourself. If you got to wait a week to see it, unfortunately, because of schedules or whatever the case may be, wait a week and then go to see it in a theater, please. You will get so much more out of your experience if you do that. I can't wait. Like I'm buying my tickets to go see it. I will probably go see it in every format. Like I want to see it in Dolby and IMAX both. Um, we only got to see it in kind of a regular size theater uh, for our press screening. And it, it did not feel like it even came close to doing this movie justice. I was annoyed. That's why I'm saying I cannot fathom watching this on HBO Max. And it's also slower, right? It's not that kind of storytelling. So you're so much more apt to get distracted by what's going on in your home or around you or your cell phone and pulled out of the experience. And, and I just, you'll have such a better time with it if you go see it in a big theater, please. That's my recommendation. Uh, please do that. So, yeah. <laughs> and based off your glowing recommendation, I just got me some Dolby Cinema and AMC tickets for Friday. You are a good man. <laughs> there you go. You guys are you guys are gonna love it, man. And you know, and there's some action in it. There's definitely some combat on the ground. There's a lot of air combat. The the vehic vehicles, the spaceships, like the design is just. I mean, every time I see something new, I'm just like, man, that that looks incredible. That looks amazing. That is so neat. Like, I want to know more. I want to see more about this world. And that's, that's what I want from an epic like this, epic type of story. Um, he, he nails it. He's, he's a master at this. And I just can't even fathom them not letting him finish it. So I'm just going to think good thoughts. We have recently made a partnership with Letterboxd, the best social media app on the planet. If you are like us and you love film... And you have friends that love film and you want to have an app where you can go and check on each other and see what you're watching, see what you rate films, or even have a contest about rankings for certain films in their series, then check out Letterboxd. We currently have an offer if you put in the code FEELINGFILM, and that's F-E-E-L-I-N, FILM. You can get 20% off a pro or Patreon subscription. And if you already have an account, the code will work just the same if you want to renew or upgrade. Absolutely. We love Letterboxd. It's a place you can get our thoughts early as well. If the, you're into that, Kales and I almost always will post some reviews on Letterboxd before we get around to recording our episodes. Uh, we'll expand on things in the episode, of course. But hey, come follow us. I'm Aaron L. White there. He's Black Nerd Magic. And we would love to see what you write up about the movies you watch as well. Well, that's it for us this time on FF+. We hope that one of these movies has piqued your interest, and we always would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Feelin' Film. Kales is on Twitter at Black Nerd Magic. You can also join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's a link to that in the show notes, and we would love to talk movies with you each and every day all day long. We'll be back soon with another great, strong lineup next week and probably the week after. It's a good time for movies, Kales. They are just coming out like 
gangbusters. We are getting good ones, and I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll be back soon. But until then, keep fueling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.